My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our guest today is Cindy Noble, and our topic is conflict coaching. Cindy Noble is a former lawyer with a Master's of Law in Dispute Resolution. She is a chartered mediator, professional certified coach, and a pioneer of conflict management coaching. Cindy mediates workplace and other interpersonal disputes, and also coaches individual clients worldwide to strengthen their conflict competence and more effectively engage in their interpersonal disputes. She and her international team of trainers conduct workshops for mediators, coaches, and others in her unique Synergy model. Cindy is the author of two coaching books, Conflict Mastery Questions to Guide You, and Conflict Management Coaching, The Synergy Model. She also has a website, www.synergycoaching.com. Cindy, very welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Oh, thank you very much, William. Happy to be here with you. I love the intersection between coaching and mediation. I was talking earlier on before the podcast about my own experiences and you being a pioneer in this. I find this such a wonderful honor. What is conflict coaching for our listeners who may not know what conflict coaching is? Well, conflict coaching, also known as conflict management coaching, they're interchangeable, is a one-on-one process. It's when a trained coach works with an individual who wants to um, so strengthen their conflict competence. They might want to handle a dispute more effectively that they're involved in. They might be anticipating a dispute and they want to be prepared for it. It could be after the conflict when somebody is not feeling very resilient, um, agonizing, wanting to just wanting to figure out what, what did I learn here? Or what am I going to do differently next time? So it's really the range of individualized uh, process for people who are really looking at being a better version of themselves when it comes to conflict management. So you, you mentioned their conflict competence. You know, what does that look like if someone was, was to understand more about that? Yes, I know it's very interesting. So so many people uh, being able to effectively manage conflict, if we look at the workplace as one example, but there are, of course, many when people don't are not feeling equipped to manage conflicts. So it may not be about a specific dispute. It might be generally that people see, uh, you know, when people criticize me, I become defensive. Um, When I'm about to deliver a hard message, I know who's going to start pushing back and it's, and I, you know, I don't know how to manage it. So it's really, I mean, leaders, especially who are mostly my clients, I do mostly organizational work, uh, are people who know they're in the face of conflict 
all the time. And so it may be a dispute going on or anticipated or have happened, but it might be, look at, I'm just not good at this. You know, one day I'm in front of this group and this goes on. One day I'm meeting with this partner and, you know, all hell breaks loose. So it's a, it's a general ability to be in conflict, to engage in conflict. And it's interesting that many organizations will have things like uh, communication skills as a competency. There aren't that many that have effective conflict management, but but if they do, I mean, that's increased over time. Um, they don't really give the, well, what does that mean in this organization? Well, how, what, what are expectations of people in this organization about how they engage in conflict? And what I have found that many organizations deny there's conflict. It's not a normal as it is. You know, we know it's an inevitable part. Uh, and yet there's a tendency to back away and avoid it and, you know, just get on with it kind of an attitude more than anything. So it, that's absolutely improved over the years since I've been doing this, but and that I've observed um, over time that people see the need for conflict competence more than they ever did. Um, it's there. It's out there. This episode was brought to you in association with the Mediation Foundation of Ireland, Europe's premier provider of mediation certification and training. For more information, check out mfi.ie. It is, and that brings me to mind then, are there different elements then to conflict competence? Is it a little bit about emotional intelligence, self-awareness, communication, understanding I suppose relationship with conflict is, you know, because you mentioned about avoidance. Is it all those things or what are the elements? I, well, those for sure would name them. I think sort of the, um, the it, it, to me in many ways, William, it's a mindset. It's about mm. saying it's, it's, it's normal, it's inevitable. How am I going to be good at it? How am I going to model uh, conflict competence in that, uh, that people are comfortable around raising conflicts with me that we, um, that I can do so in a way that engages the other person. Uh, and even if we disagree that, that, that that's going to be accepted as that's going to happen. And so there's, it's really much more around, um, you know, it is managing emotions. It's man- regulating it, those. It's really about perspective taking. Uh, I, I like to think of uh, the idea of, of coaching moves people from, their resistance um, or their um, reactions to uh, reflections before they're able to respond and before they're resilient. So the R's that come in there is really, they, it really is evident in, in my work, and you'd know in your work uh, as a mediator and working in teams, that if people are reacting, they are not in any way able to gain perspective, step back until there's some way if they're coached, for instance, where they're able to settle down and start to think clearly. And I think one of the things that I've noticed so much about in organizations around conflict and what I see in my mediation practices, you probably do, is um, that by the time people get to get help, they are already at their reactive state. <laughs> and so we're all dealing with that, you know, the amygdala of being hijacked and how we're going to manage it. So that idea of conflict competence is being able to do that being able to step back, regulate, and be able to get more uh, reflective about how to respond. So you mentioned both our work as as mediators. And this brings me to the question then is, why would people elect to do conflict coaching versus mediation? 
Well, you know, it's interesting because since I started doing this and teaching it 20 years ago, there's been an increase when people are offered coaching or mediation, there's been an increase in coaching. And that for that, I think that it answers your question to say some people just want to see if they can figure it out on their own and manage it. Because one of the things about coaching is that it's more durable. It's not about issues in dispute necessarily, although that may be why someone comes to coach. But it's also, you know, this is the kind of thing I don't know how to do. And I'd like to be better at managing, you know, things when they when they blow up. Um, so I think that the clientele that I have are often, more often than not, people that have either been offered that choice and have chosen uh, coaching, or they've come to me, they've elected to, or organizations that have coaching cultures see the value of, is this something somebody can work out on their own and and, and therefore be more durable? And I, I think that would be a choice. So it doesn't mean that some people might prefer to have a facilitator there, a dispute between them and somebody else. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, I've just seen an increase of people who are are wanting coaching to be able to engage more effectively themselves. What I like about conflict coaching, I use it in my own practice, and, and that's why I was so eager to talk to you because it's so successful. People feel empowered. Then sometimes if they go down the mediation route, they kind of there's this. They sometimes think it's a bit formal, or you're escalating an issue that doesn't need to be escalated in their mind. So it's about perception and optics sometimes for people. And that then, how does conflict coaching then differ? to other forms of coaching. Right. So I, I, I just wanted to um, add to what you're saying is that interestingly, I did this little bit of research after I started to do coaching and, and met with mediation, people who've been in mediation. And um, there was a, a sense that mediation formalized, like, did it have to be that? Do we, did we have to bring in HR? Do we have to, you know, bring in somebody else? And, and all of that went into that was made it much more of a, um, uh, some people said, well, if it doesn't sort out here, then maybe I'll go there, as though that was sort of the end, which is not how we start. When we started mediation, that would not be how we would yeah. look at it. Um, uh, but so the question about different kinds of coaching. In conflict management coaching, the idea of uh, having a conflict analysis where people are able to uh, reflect on conflict by analyzing it. And the um, we talked earlier about the not so merry go round of conflict. So one of the ways in the research that I did that clients were able to move forward is if they were able to do more analysis of what what happened here for me really what went mm-hmm. on and and what what went on for the other person. Um, and that would not be. Let me go back a step and say many coaches take this training because they're facing conflict a lot, and they within the processes that many people learn, it's they don't have all of the tools. And so when it comes to somebody having conflict, they'll say, okay, well, I have a model specifically for that. And then they're able to engage in what was based on evidence and the research around how to facilitate people's movement from what I talked about earlier, from a reaction to reflection. And so that very methodical analysis that people engage in with the not so merry ground of conflict um, is a way for people to start to step back and start gain different perspectives. And that wouldn't be a tool that coaches would generally necessarily have. I mean, lots of coaches have you've got lots of skill and framework that in the general course. 
Um, that additionally, with the stage of the model too, where people start to look at how they're going to rehearse or practice or, you know, be in conflict, how, what's going to be different about how they're moving forward. So that I think probably distinguishes it. I will say too that, um, usually when we start coaching, general coaching, because I, I was uh, certified as a coach before, is that typically a, a person would say, um, uh, coach would say, what, do you, what would you like to achieve today? In conflict management coaching, it's a bit more longer term. It's what is it you want to have happen through conflict coaching and by the time we're finished. So it builds incrementally, step by step. It's more linear, and uh, which I found was uh, not, didn't think it was going to be, but it, it turned out being so. Yeah. Uh, so it, it does vary. It varies in terms of process, but it is a process. This episode was brought to you in association with the Mediation Foundation of Ireland, Europe's premier provider of mediation certification and training. For more information, check out mfi.ie. Step by step. Step by step. And speaking of step by step, then your framework does have a step by step process. So we talk about the internal conflict and the external conflict. And then we might go through that merry-go-round or not so merry-go-round model, if that's okay with you. Can you talk us uh, through that, if that's okay? Well, if I was just explain first the steps, the step starts with finding out why the person's there and then what happened. Mm. And that's the see in the eye, you know, clarifying the goal and the inquire about the situation. The merry-go-round is the end stage, which is uh, name the elements, which is looking at uh, what what is the um, what are the uh, sort of elements that are be underneath the conflict, so the internal, and then when it when it externalized. So this was founded on um, research, which I was really thrilled about. It was a, a practice looking for a theory, um, and there are neuroscientists in California that have done some research around um, emotional regulation. And it follows the uh, right side of the merry-go-round, which is the internal part. So that means that when any of us get provoked or triggered, um, there's something specific that did that. Someone said something, they didn't say something, that look on their face and attitude. There's something that starts us uh, reacting. And that uh, underneath that what happened in the research was every time people talked about, well, when they, they spoke to me in this, you know, a very patronizing voice, that would be you know, the thing that triggered off um, the uh, something that was internal, which people aren't usually aware of, which is values or needs or aspect of our identity. At some level of, of our consciousness, we experience whatever that person said or did is undermining something important to us like values, needs or identity. And once that happens, the next part of the merry-go-round is that we, there's an impact, which might have happened before, but people will then more often in the research would name, you know, you know, I'm not stupid. What are they, you know, and and they would be they they would be talking about I haven't slept about it. I don't know what to do about it. So some kind of impact, and the impact is not just emotional, which is what we often would think mm-hmm. about. It could be I'm losing sleep. I, every time I see the person, my hands are clenching. All kinds of physical other just uh, reactions that are important in coaching to to draw on. And then people make assumptions about why people do what they do. And that's, that, that is just, uh, just to, um, to start with just the internal dispute. That's what's going on in our minds before we ever raise it. 
if we ever raise it. So we could stay there yeah. forever. And those exploring those elements and what went on for each client is really important before you look at you know what went too far and what was it, you know how did it externalize and and the, and what are the consequences which is the other part of the merry-go-round but just being able to break it down the joy of the merry-go-round which came from the research was if we also then take clients through what did they observe the other person was experiencing um, by like, what did you say or do that seemed to trigger them? If you do the same elements from the client's observation, yeah. then that opens up all the more a mutuality, which is integral part of the model that people start to get, stand in the other person's shoes and get a better understanding of what really went on here that I need to know before I can figure out what to do. And you talk about maybe walking in someone's shoes or seeing it from a different person's perspective. I'm just curious in your own practice, what if someone is stuck in their own story? How do you get them to, to shift to another person's perspective? Cause it might be kind of going, well, why should I even go there? Yes, it's true. Well, that comes up in usually in the training, people ask the same question. So I'm not surprised to hear it. You know, some of this is uh, drawing on the best listening skills we possibly have. You as you know, mediators, mediator and coach, you know how important that is. And if you move on too quickly in the client, that's why the clients will say, well, why do I care about them? And so usually it's just making sure the person does get heard, whatever they need to say. And but the elements by walking through the merry-go-round, whatever they've already told you starts to get analyzed and it starts to remove some of the part that's in their brain, uh, the amygdala, and they're starting to be more, more thoughtful. Yeah. And so, um, you know, sometimes if I get pushback, um, when I am going to say, so now let's look at what you observed about the other person, um, it would happen for them. If I get pushback, I think, oh, they haven't been heard enough. And I'll just stay with them. Like, what's so, what haven't you told me? If they keep yeah. doing that, then I would say, I'm just as what I'm noticing. And you know, the naming it part of coaching. And you know, what, so sometimes that will be people are embarrassed, they're ashamed, uh, they feel guilty. There could be any number of reasons why they're resistant. And so, you know, I have a bunch of tools that, that sort of work to start to shift people once once they're there. But ultimately, I would be naming it and what's going on. And it is about getting that balance right, isn't it, with the vent? You know, I know you covered that in the book that I found really useful is you have to let a certain amount of vent go. And then it's like, OK, how do we move forward here? So, again, what is it that we haven't explored or heard? So it goes back into that coaching piece to create more awareness. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Well, there is some literature around that I think I referred to in the book was about inventing it can be overrated. Like how much do people have to do that? And it's one of the things that I think is so interesting. Um, you'd appreciate this in mediation practice is you know, we, there's a very much in interpersonal disputes was, you know, people, to, even other not interpersonal. One person tells the story, then the other person. Well, you've, you, you, they've heard that story many, many times. And do they have to hear it again? Like, who says we have to sit there and listen to it again and be, you know, our amygdala getting um, totally hijacked and then asking people to think? I think there's, that's probably not altogether the best way. And so I actually have changed my mediation practice from, from that sort of venting and the theory that that's a good thing for people to do. Maybe not. And that's where reframing comes in, doesn't it? It's allowing the other party really hear 
what are those values or needs or identity that's at play that the other party or person may not know? Mm-hmm. For sure. I, I think it's, it's, I think it's the hidden part. I think it's, um, I often ask people now before in a pre-mediation coaching, for instance, um, what does the other person not know about you? And we are experienced mm. about this. It's a huge question. Lots usually. That's what's important to tell, not what did happen. It's what you don't know. And I, so I think, you know, I'm huge on questions, as you know. So <laughs> I'm always looking for those powerful questions. Talk about powerful questions later on. And in those private meetings or pre-mediation meetings, I think conflict it's all about conflict coaching in them. And really what you're trying to do is, is help people understand themselves, understand the other person. And then you're really primed for success when you're going into the mediation, because then you're setting goals for that mediation. And it's a lot more focused on outcomes versus then getting stuck into stories. I think we, what we don't say, you know, when, when you ask generally people, like if I asked you, why, why do you, why are you a mediator? Like, what do you like about mediation? What would, what would you say? If I'm honest, it's really about, um, you're helping people out of emotional turmoil, really, aren't you? Like, it, it's a real gift. It's a bit like, um, well, why are people paramedics or nurses or doctors or dentists? Like, you know, it, 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 it isn't about doing the actual work itself. It's it's what you're, it's a healing profession, really. You know, is that too philosophical for you? Or? Well, that's a really good point. What I, what I think is, too, I would add to that is, um, I think I think we have an obligation to make conflict a better experience for people. And if we can do that by way of coaching or the way we mediate, we've taken it beyond this is process. We're dealing with issues. We're taking it on to conflict needs to be, um, you know, better, a better experience for people. This brings me to mind then of of emotions then, like we're high emotions in, in conflict. What drives emotions in conflict then? Well, I do think it is usually the values needs identity pieces that are being undermined. I think that's what I found in the research more than anything that I hadn't really concentrated on before as a mediator. But when I did the research around what would be a good coaching model, I think what my realization was that um, that once we experience it, somebody as we see it, as we perceive it, that somebody's undermining something important to us. I think that's the huge driver. What happens if people overly focus on facts then in a coaching conversation they did and or this is what happened or or whatever how do you how do you counteract that yeah I mean facts are not really important at all in uh as the people's experience of them so uh mm-hmm. you know some people are high context and will want to tell chapter and verse and dates etc I just you know what I, I know this probably sounds strange but when I was doing the research I was keeping an average of how many people when pe- how long does it take for people to vent and it really varies, but it usually wasn't more than 20 minutes. So 20 minutes in the coaching, just letting people talk and just going and not saying and not summarizing. You don't need to summarize because then you're just going to ask for more. No, this is the, you know, no, it was August 21. You don't need that. So you just summarize. Um, if you're going to summarize at all, I don't summarize. I just let people talk. Yeah. And just say, is there anything else? And it doesn't take that long in the end for that to happen. So what I think often happens is that coaches and, and mediators get sort of the patient hearing it or hearing it over. So it's uh, in turn to paraphrasing summary, whereas I really find, again, it's sort of a naming it tool, which is saying, and you told me that before. Is there something about that that's especially important? Why you want me to hear that one? Uh, and just kind of focus. But generally, um, 
I think the just the listen piece doesn't have to take that long and then just let it go. And just uh, one of the things about summarizing, which I found in that research, is that uh, or paraphrasing is that inevitably people who are high context will want to correct or say more and go back and repeat. You don't need to. This episode was brought to you in association with the Mediation Foundation of Ireland, Europe's premier provider of mediation certification and training. For more information, check out MFI. So you were talking about questions and possibility questions. What are possibility questions? I know this is a crucial tool as part of conflict coaching. You know, what are they? Yeah, you know, it really, they're the type of question that people aren't usually asked. So coaches are going to learn, it's one of the huge core competency among coaches to be able to ask the question that um, that somebody will have an insight from or they'll think differently. So, of course, it's not a yes or no. And uh, it's it's uh, we know that piece. I find asking questions with a what and how at the beginning is going to get me you know, much farther. Um, it takes people beyond what they tell you, which they've told everybody else before they get to you. So it's it, sometimes it's like I mentioned earlier, you know, what what don't you know here? Like it's so the yin and yang of questions are uh, can be helpful. I'm quite fascinated with the idea of of questions, and over time I've tried many, many, and um, in in the book Conflict Mastery: Questions to Guide You that you that we talked about earlier on, um, I put a poem by uh, David White who said, uh, "Some questions have no right to go away." I think that's a very powerful thing to say. And I think sometimes I will, I have used that with clients. I'll say, what, I might say, what question am I, am I not asking you here? That's pretty powerful. That's not how we usually ask people. Um, what question has no right to go away? That sort of just general, something that just isn't what they would normally hear. And I've, I've often said to people I've trained, if somebody says, well, this is giving me a headache, your new, new coaches will say, okay, wrong question. Whereas, it, what you know is that's the best question they're getting a headache from that question yeah so it's how it's really being much more mindful of what have they not thought about what, what's what's the gap here and, and going there for it and for our listeners you know when people say well that's giving me a headache that's what's what's known as a powerful question is yes. there something that really yeah. hits you so much it really makes you sit back and think and, and that's the powerful question, as I often say, it just hits you between the two eyes there. Gosh, I, you know, I never thought about that. Or, and, yeah. I, and, and I did actually had a coaching search around today. And a, pers- a person just said is, is, I think I avoided that question because I didn't want to answer it. Yeah, that's good insight on that person's part. Mm. And then we asked a question then and the person just came up with an amazing insight. And, and, and once they heard it out loud, they go, Oh my, this, this sounds like five issues that I'm having right now. And that's the whole thing about powerful questions. And that's, that's the beauty about coaching, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think it's an art and a science. I don't think it's the easiest thing to do uh, to learn questions. I think it took me a long time. I I didn't, I, I think because coaching is conversational much more than mediation is I think that that we just kind of chat away, but I think getting to like, what's the question? What am I, what's my role here? You know? Yeah is really important to look at. There is a case for having a question bank, as I like to call them. You have your your questions to guide you workbook, which I must say is fabulous. If you are trying to, I suppose, establish that competence and that uh, 
I suppose, science and art piece. It's kind of knowing what's in your toolkit. And that's a wonderful toolkit. So I must uh, recommend that to our, our listeners. You. Oh, you're very welcome. And this is, this is one possibility question that I'm going to read from the book, if it's okay with you. What do you suppose mm-hmm. this experience is meant to teach you? Mm-hmm. How wonderful of a question is that? Yeah, I know. I love that question. Yeah. I have to ask myself that sometimes. <laughs> okay, Cindy, step back here. What's this meant to teach you? It's a great question. And, and I would say most people say, teach me. Learn. You know, like it's not as though that's where they would go right away. So it, it is one of those possibility questions. Do you explore their relationship with conflict? Usually it's part of intake before we get going. I, I might even ask that question. What's your relationship? If they haven't already told me, which is what they often do. So I often hear it right away. And, uh, you know, what, it, you know, oh, I'm such an avoider or um, you know, something, and which is a common one. Um, so I, it, to me, that sort of asks me to say, tell me more about that. And just to, to let that happen. You know, I, I think um, as Michael Bungay Sr., I don't know if you know him, he's a fabulous coach and a wonderful author. Um, he calls it the awe question, mm. you know, and what else? And so beyond what you hear when somebody answers a question is, you know, tell me more and, and what else? Though That alone will, can open up a whole lot as silence does. <laughs> To explore the relationship with conflict. Part of that is, um, how do you want to be instead? You know, so that people start to set, set up, they kind of like, what is the dream conflict mastery person? Like, what is it? If a, who do I want to be? Which is a great, you know, who do you want to be in this conflict? What do you want to be? Like all of those in order to, you know, or generally in conflict. So those kinds of questions open up what some people haven't really thought about before. And that can be your benchmarks and your measurements as you go through, you know, how are you being that person? Sometimes it's, you know, who do you know, who have you watched on TV, who have you you know heard that you think, boy, I'd really like to be cool like that person or whatever it is you want. And then use that person, you know, what's that person looking at, right? Seeing about you right now. So those are, are really uh, fun ways of introducing difference. What's going to be different. And which is really what people want. They don't want, they want it to change. They want something different, not just the issues, but the relationship and just how they are. And what I like about conflict coaching in my own practice is some people might be embarrassed about a situation or there might be animosity between people or I, I, I have a particular example. I might ask you for some of your examples where conflict coaching has been very successful and this is one that has only happened last week. Um, and I was actually dipping into your book again. So thank you for that. And in this scenario, uh, there was a, a lot of conflict going on with, with the team. And, you know, it, you know, if you were to do that from a facilitation or mediation point of view, could have been like a, a very risky strategy. So again, it's a very safe strategy as well to use conflict coaching. And instead of, you know, doing a team conflict, what we were able to do is focus on individual relationships. And we were able to explore what is it that you need from the other person? And then we were able to maybe structure a conversation to say, what elements of this conversation do you need to get across? How, what might our approach be? What language would be useful to use that the other person could hear and then that person gave me an email to say, wow, just had the most amazing wow. conversation with this person. It went in a different direction. And then they've saved a huge amount of money. They don't need to have me involved. And again, they have a 
you know, they've that connection, trust is repaired, all that type of stuff is there. So have you kind of examples like that where you have utilized uh, conflict oh, coaching? Yes. Oh. Or people have oh, benefited? Oh, all the time. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons why I love it so much is that, that when people start to step back and reflect and think about who, they'll, who they want to be instead of who they've been in a conflict or with a particular person, it's, it's mind-blowing to see people make those shifts. So many, many successes. Um, I wouldn't say all 100%, but certainly people have, have made huge changes. And some of it, I think, um, goes to what you, when you were talking about people, um, you know, planning uh, ahead and thinking more about who they want to be. It's really about setting intentions. And that part of uh, getting people concentrating on that is the um, is you know part of sort of the brain science that we've also talked about around people focusing, you know, just getting very clear yeah. about what their goals are, who are you trying to be here, what do you want to be, and then so I have seen many successes of people who um, have shifted their way of engaging a conflict to their benefit. Uh, and I, unlike things like mediation, I follow up with people to see, you know, how's it going? What are you applying that you learned? Um, just to to measure successes to see what happens and what, to what do you attribute that? Because that to me is a way for me in my own uh, development uh, to make sure that certain things keep on happening. That's, that Those seem to be game changers for people. And that's important information for me to have as a practitioner. And I like it in the book when you talk about the neuroscience and neuroplasticity, you talk about that quantum Zeno effect, you know, where you're where focusing uh, attention facilitates new thinking. So, the, again, this book is uh, a very uh, important read for those who are um, interested in conflict coaching. And you talked about follow up emails there and accountability. And from a practitioner point of view, I'm curious, and it's never happened to me, but I'm sure it's going to happen soon. What happens if the conversation doesn't happen? You know, do you revisit that or do you leave the door open? Uh, how, do you, so how do you manage the that as a practitioner? to do what they intended to do? Um, yeah. You know what? One of the so things that I really like that really attracted me to the International Coaching Federation when I first became certified was that they mm. the philosophy is that people are creative, resourceful and whole. And um, yeah. that, you know, adult learning principles are, you know, ever there. So they're adults. If they decide not to do it, so what? You know, they did they get a benefit anyway? Maybe, maybe not. I think it's a worth of conversation because all of this is co- coaching conversations. So I think I follow up and said, I just couldn't yeah. do it. And then it's, you know, sometimes that happens. It's remaining non-judgmental. It's remaining, you know, who you are and your role of, you know, we're, we're, I'm your ally here. So sometimes things just don't work. Sometimes, I mean, part of the follow-up is what, what did you need that you didn't get that would have, would have, would have facilitated? Well, sometimes it's just some inner thing. Well, I'm actually kind of a scaredy cat and I never told you about X or so having those conversations, whether or not they go to coaching is good for people to know that you support them anyway. Again, you quoted the International Coaching Federation there, which I'm also a member of. I think I'm on my 10 or 11 year anniversary now. I just renewed my membership (laughs) there yesterday. And and it it really is about coaching then. Are people ready, willing and able? And I think that's you have some really useful resources there for when it comes to conflict coaching you know, you have kind of some checklists at, at the start. Sorry, it's not checklists, but it's some questions to, to guide you in that conversation. Can you tell me more about that? 
around accountability are you referring to or yeah and and also what's to expect from the process and the engagement piece and how you work together you know that that contracting piece can you yeah, tell me more how I you might approach first that steps of of uh you know inquiry and intake are really critical report building is probably one of the biggest um you know necessities it's an imperative in being able to work with people so that if they aren't doing tasks in between or they don't get on with things that they're able to they feel like you're not going to be judged and and at the same time if they're not that the relationship is such that I as as a coach can say what's going on what's happening Um, so I don't think of every time someone doesn't do something as lack of accountability I just use it as an opportunity to say what's happening and maybe it was not the right task and maybe there's reasons militating against it so that's time is spent in intake getting to know people building rapport letting them uh, sort of modeling um, a way of, uh, of interrelating. And, um, and I think, you know, when people are referred for coaching, they're, they come with a little bit of a chip in the shoulder sometimes, unless they have been really game for it. So yeah. it's, it's being able to develop a relationship enough that people get safe and feel safe around you. And so that is all of those questions, all the things that we talked about are usually part of an intake. Yeah, and that's what I would do is, is is say, okay, you know, how do we how do we manage for that? And then I would give them that invite to say it's all learning, you know, the door is open, you know, and and how about we explore that? Uh, and it might be something useful that we can discuss and explore and work through. So it's about giving people, I suppose, that opportunity then to revisit to go, okay. Well, what was it about that that didn't work and what can we learn from that? Is that something that you would do or? Remember that many people have never had a coach. They have no idea what it is. They don't know the the length and depth and breadth of it. And I think that that's our, on us to be able to make sure that they understand. And it's a different, it's a very different um, way of relating than pe- most people are used to. So that's a learning in and of itself. And it's not one that everybody, you know, if anybody has trust issues, they're not going to take it up pretty quickly. So, you know, I think it's really being aware of it. I, I often think, you know, when I was a mediator for many years is that we get so used to it that we think people like, oh, we're going to bring them together. And well, we don't know they've lost sleep the night before because they're scared silly of having to face the person again. Like all that, we just kind of go into process. And, um, and that we kind of, I think I have have tended to forget that they've got other things going on here and they might be looking like they've got a stiff upper lip, but they're scared silly. So, you know, I think all of that is um, take people where they are and and make the, make the space enough for people to be able to tell you where that is and without guessing and, you know, thinking that we know what, where they're, what they're going through, you know, just as I find in conflict that the people's tend, and it's one of the things that get people into trouble is the assumptions they make about other people and the expectations that have been let down. Mm. And we make assumptions about what those are if we aren't, if they aren't explored. So in conflict management coaching, I think it's on us to be able to make the air open enough that, that having that conversation is an easy one. And that's what coaching is all about, isn't it? It's, it's about meeting people where they're at you know, accompany them on, on that journey to whatever that goal is and, and, and let them guide the path as you, you help them navigate whatever okay. the conflict that they're going through. We're coming to the end of the podcast here. Uh, there has been such great learnings. People can understand more what conflict coaching is. 
And what I'd like to do is is give you the opportunity to know if people were to find more about you or to contact you, uh, how might they do so? Well, uh, I think you referred to my website at the beginning at Synergy Coaching. So that's C-I-N-E-R-G-Y coaching.com. And there's ways to contact me there. And the site gives a lot of information about um, different articles and interviews. This one will go there as well when it's done. Um, so if people want more information, that is the, there's a lot that's there for people to look at. There's also a bunch of free resources that for people to look at under the resources tab. And I know that you're making your chapter two of your Conflict Mastery Questions book uh, available to our listeners. So thank you very much for that. And I will put the password into the uh, podcast description there, uh, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. So that's one of the resources that you uh, and William will send that password. That's good for sure. Cindy, thank you so much. It's been an honor to speak to a pioneer of Conflict Coaching today. Thank you. Thank you for a great interview. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood your external learning and development partner, provider executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organization.